Sound familiar at all? There's all kind of crazy in relationships, aren't there? There's like little crazy. This is kind of little crazy, wouldn't you say? Crazy, little people drive you crazy little, but that can drive you very crazy, right? We got some, we got the map people and the adventurous people. Those are very different personalities. How many map people do we have? How many adventurous people do we have? <laughs> hey, they can get into some pretty intense conflicts, doesn't it, over something small that's really, you know, for the most part, just a personality thing. But then there's also big crazy. There are things that can be way more challenging and difficult in relationships. And so that's what this series is about, mad men. It's not just mad men, it's mad women too, because there's like crazy people in both sexes, wouldn't you agree? Yes, it can go crazy either way. So this series that we're starting today is all about how to take the crazy out of your relationships. And part of the thing is God designed us to be connected. God designed us to have relationships. God is a relationship kind of God. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that he made us to have relationship with us. How cool is that? That God wanted to be close to us. And so he is the ultimate relationship expert. And so we're going to be talking about what can we do in our relationships. Now, part of the problem you might have noticed is you can't control other people. Have you ever thought that, that my relationships would be fixed if only they would do something and sat there? How far does that get you? (laughs) You can just stay stuck a long time. And what happens is if we're relating in a way that it's all about, well, everything would be great if only they would do this, it makes us powerless in our relationships. So this whole series, we're going to be looking at what's the part that you can be doing? Because that's all that we can focus on is what is the part that we can be doing in relationships? And then how is it that God can work in that? That God can work in us just making the choices of doing the part that we can do. Now to start this, I'm going to start with a record of um, Joseph in the Bible. And the thing about this record is Joseph had the worst things happen to him by people around him. He had all kinds of issues. He had a family that betrayed him in horrible ways that you could just not even imagine. He had people in his work environment betray him. It just seemed like at every turn, Joseph got a raw deal. Because part of the thing, too, is... Because people have free will, we can't do anything about that. It really does suck sometimes. People can be incredibly hurtful, and there's nothing that we can do. Like, that part is out of our control. So it is what we can do. We're going to look at how God took care of Joseph in spite of getting a really raw deal, because life is unfair. You know, the Bible, I know a lot of people teach the whole thing of God's in control, but there's some pretty bad stuff that happens in the world and honestly, it doesn't fit. Like, there are many hurtful, horrible things that happen that God has nothing to do with, does not desire. It is not his will, you know. Babies getting mutilated is not the will of God. You know what I'm saying? Hor- horrific things happen in life. But what, how is God involved? What can God do? We're going to look at that. So starting off with Joseph, one of the things, too, that happens in family life, because this is the first people that Joseph has problems with, is sometimes hurt 
from one generation passes to another. Have you ever seen that in families where parents are doing the best that they know how to do, but they've been hurt by their parents and maybe make some mistakes that are hurtful to the next generation and to the next generation, etc. Well, Joseph's family is like that. You can go back actually several generations and see the hurt. So what happens in Joseph's family is his dad, Jacob, got into this really crazy situation where he fell in love with a woman named Rachel and wanted to marry her. And Rachel's dad says, okay, you, can, you need to work for me for seven years to get Rachel. And then at the end of those seven years, the dad tricks him, Rachel's dad tricks him, and throws his uh, older uh, daughter in the wedding. Of course, she's veiled and everything, and he doesn't know it until the next morning he wakes up, and it's not Rachel. Kind of a bad situation. Wouldn't that, you say that's a rough start? I mean, really rough start. So then the dad gets a brilliant idea and says, okay, because Jacob's pretty upset about this. It's like, you tricked me. You know, the woman I love, you gave me as her older sister. The dad's trying to be helpful, I'm sure. He probably feels bad for the older sister. So then the dad says, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my other daughter too. So here Jacob is. This is never a good situation being married to two women, let alone two sisters, <laughs> right? There's competitiveness. It gets very hurtful, and they start having baby wars. And Leah, who he doesn't love, the older sister, is popping out the babies like crazy. Rachel can't have any, so she gets jealous. And back in those days, culturally, you could give your maid away to have babies for you. So Rachel's like, okay, I'll give you my maid to have some children so that I can have. I mean, this is a mess. Wouldn't you say this is Jerry Springer time? <laughs> Didn't that sound like a story for Jerry Springer? So this is a mess. So this is the beginning of Joseph's story and his family history. And so then we're going to look in Genesis uh, chapter 37, if you have Bibles, or we're also on the uh, version. you know, if, if you've got that app, um, the scriptures will be on there for you. Genesis chapter 37, in verse 3, now Israel, which is Jacob, but God changed his name to Israel, which means beloved of God. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than his other children. Now, is that usually a problem when a parent loves one child more than the rest? So... It's not comfortable for either, is it? It's not probably a big blessing for Joseph, but definitely it's hurtful for the other brothers that Israel loved Joseph more than them. How does that feel growing up when you know you're not the favorite? So this is a rough, this is bad just all the way around. It says, he loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age because Joseph came at the end. Rachel finally had her own child and it was Joseph. And then it says, and he made him a tunic of many colors. You've seen Joseph in the, you know, ama yeah, amazing technicolor. This is where they get that from. So very fancy tunic. And uh, in verse 4 it says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So this is bad for the brothers, but it's also, can you imagine as a little brother, he's got all these older brothers, and they can't speak peaceably. I mean, just think about that. They can't even say a peaceable word. Not kind, not loving. They can't even speak. Can you imagine what that's like living growing up as Joseph? Because little boys, don't they usually look up to their big brothers? They're like, follow them around, want to be like them, like do everything. What would it be like for Joseph to grow up where his brothers hate him and can't speak one decent word to him? So if it's not peaceable, what do you think they're speaking? They're either not speaking at all or they're saying some pretty mean things in that. And then in verse 5, it says, Now Joseph had a dream, 
And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. In verse 6 it says, So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. And then it says, There we were, binding sheaves, sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around us and bowed down to my sheaf. <laughs> and the brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I, I dreamed another dream. <laughs> you think he would understand this is probably not the wisest to do with brothers that already hate you. And uh, it says, Look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. <laughs> Oh, he's probably excited about that. Wow, this is an awesome dream. The sun and the stars bowing down. And then it says in verse 10, So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So it's kind of, so even his, I mean, even his dad's annoyed by this dream. He's like... You know, what, are we all going to bow down to you now? So the brothers, it says envy. And that's one of the things, as far as responses, we're going to see, because Joseph's brothers got a raw deal, and Joseph got a raw deal. But there's a big difference in how they respond. The brothers respond with hate, with bitterness, which is an option when people hurt you, right? When people hurt you, that is an option, and many people choose that. Bitterness, hate, envy, resentment. Those are things that kill you inside. That is a choice when other people hurt you as to where you go versus where Joseph went with his raw deal in this. So then it says in verse uh, 19, we'll go down to that. So it just builds up and they builds up. They get more and more bitter. And then in verse 19, it says, then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. They, they went, his brothers went off to work and his dad said, here, go take something out to give your brothers a message for me. And so Joseph goes out there to meet his brothers far away from home. And it says, look, this dreamer is coming. <clears throat> therefore, uh, come, therefore, now let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. How mad do you have to be to want to kill somebody? That's pretty bitter, pretty angry, wouldn't you say? I mean... Most of us at a certain point have probably been angry that, that I think it's, you know, that you get thoughts like that. You just go, I wish, I wish somebody was dead or what have you. Wow, pretty wild wind out there. Aren't you glad we're all cozy inside here together? <laughs> so, but the anger to want to kill their brother, they're serious though. This is not just, at this point, they're not just talking. They really are sitting like thinking that's a plan. They're so mad that they actually want to kill their little brother. And then in verse 21, it says, but Reuben heard it and, and he delivered them out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which, in the uh, which is in the wilderness and do not lay a hand upon him that he may deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to their father. In verse 23, 
So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic and the tunic of many colors that was on him. They took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal, and they lifted their eyes and looked. And there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry uh, them down to Egypt. It says later, actually, Joseph was 17 at this point, so he's pretty young. It says that while he was in the bottom of this pit being left for dead, because their plan is to leave him for dead, that he was screaming and begging for his life at the bottom of the pit, and they sat and had a meal. How cold-hearted would you have to be to sit there and hear your little brother screaming, begging for his life? Imagine, like, already the shame of having that tunic ripped off of him, but thrown into a pit, and he's hearing them as their plans are to leave him to die, and he's screaming over and over, begging them for his life. What, would you say that that's a reason to be angry, to think life is unfair, to feel like, where is God, maybe? To go, what kind of world is this? Where is God in this? You know, we've definitely, this is, a, well, this is one of the worst things you can think of as far as hurt from family goes. I know there's worse, but this is pretty up there as far as bad goes. You know, so you think, you know, Joseph would sit there and just get hard and callous and say, you got to get yours because people are going to screw you over anyway, so you got to take care of number one, take care of yourself, etc. But it says they decide to, to sell him into slavery. So that's a better option, being sold into slavery, but it's not a piece of cake. What would it be like to be sold to people that don't speak your language as a slave, to be carried off to another country? And slavery, I mean, it's ugly stuff, right? You don't know how you're going to be treated, where you're going to wind up, etc. And so that's what they finally resolved to do, is to tell him, tell, go back and tell their dad that he died, but to let him, to sell him off to... Uh, where he sold in Egypt as a slave. In Genesis 39, verse 1, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And look what it says in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he, Potiphar, was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. It says, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, Joseph, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him, and then he made him an overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time he had made him an overseer of the house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. This is, like, there's so many things I want to look at in here. Joseph sold as a slave, and what happens? Joseph is faithful in his faith to God. So much so, you can see how Joseph is walking with God, that Potiphar, the person that buys him as a slave, recognizes that. He's saying, this is somebody trustworthy. Do you put, he's, Potiphar's a wealthy, powerful man under Pharaoh's, you know, like working for Pharaoh, he's way up there, powerful, successful man. 
He's putting Joseph in charge of everything he's got. You have to trust somebody a lot, right? He's a successful man. He's not stupid. He's witnessing Joseph is a man of integrity. Joseph's a man of honor. And that Joseph walks with God. He knows this. He sees that God is blessing Joseph. How would that be to have a witness of your life that, God, that people can see that God is in your life? That people can see that in you that says, wow, this is somebody that you can see the blessing of God. It's that obvious. He goes from a slave to being in charge of everything under this wealthy man's home. How cool is that? It says that God was with him. And that's part of the thing that we're going to see is all we can do is do our part. You have an option to get bitter about what happens to you, or you have an option to do what Joseph was, which he kept seeking God. He knew God didn't put him in that situation. He loved God. He knew that God was love. God is love. God does not cause those things to happen to us. People do. People have free will. People make choices that are hurtful. But God was like, I mean, Joseph was like, okay, this sucks a lot. This is painful, but I'm going to keep looking to God. And God blessed him in it. God can bless you no matter what you've been through. No matter what other people have done to you, God can and will take care of you if you seek him. That is possible. I don't care the lowest pit that you're in, like Joseph was at the bottom. God can pull you out of that. I know myself personally, I came from a background where I was horrifically abused physically and sexually. It's a miracle I'm alive. And I know that I've seen that, that from being at the pit of the bottom that God can rescue anybody and restore your life and turn it around. He can't help what other people have done to you, but he can bring you into victory. He can bring you into healing. He can bring you into deliverance no matter how far down in the pit you've been. Amen? I like that. We got to get a little Baptist thing going on with the, I keep forgetting like, amen, amen. Yeah. I like getting excited about God. So thanks for reminding me. Um, so it's cool. God made everything prosper. When you take care of your gut part, God will cause everything you do to prosper. So he said he put everything under his authority and the Lord blessed. You know what's cool is when you're walking with God and people are blessing you, it says God's going to bless those people that bless you. God's going to take care, and he took care of that Egyptian for blessing Joseph. How cool is that? Verse 6, we'll continue. It says, it says, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he didn't know what he had except for the bread that he ate. That's a lot of trust. It's like Martha. Martha, like, has access to all of our bank accounts and passcodes and all that. Like, it's just like you got to trust somebody a lot, right? To not even know what you got in your bank account. Most of the time I don't, but Martha does. Like, you got to trust somebody a lot, don't you? That's how much trust. Pretty cool. Doesn't even know what he had except for the bread. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And verse 7, they didn't just throw that in there. There's a reason. And in verse 7, <laughs> verse seven it says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And says, lie with me. And it means what you think it means. <laughs> Not take a nap. <laughs> hey, they did that back in the day, too. Like, it's thousands of years ago. 
It says in verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. How could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's how he looked at it. You know, some people might go, hey, hey, even a bonus, I get the wife too. Well, what a hookup, right? Joseph was just sitting there going, I have been trusted. I have been given this. He was a man of integrity no matter what. You know, that did the right thing no matter what the circumstances. And we're going to see because this is stressful. In verse 10 it says, so it was that she spoke to Joseph what? Day by day. Imagine every day, every day that he did not heed her, lie with her or be with her. So that would be stressful, wouldn't it? What if he got where he's like, I don't really got a choice? What if, he, what if Joseph thought that way? This woman won't lay up. I just really guess I don't have a choice in it. You know? But Joseph doesn't. And then it says, uh, but it happened this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men w- of the house was inside. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And verse 13, it says, And so it was when she saw that he left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, She's telling everybody that Joseph tried to rape her. Can you imagine what this would feel like? You ever have people lie about you? It's hard, isn't it? It's like really, really sucks, especially when other people don't believe you. It's just another one of those things. It's just like, so she tells everybody. She's like, she goes, hey, he tried to have sex with me, and I screamed. Yeah, verse 15, and it says, and it happened when he heard that, that I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. And she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought us came in to mock me. And so it happens as I lifted my voice and cried out, he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. And Joseph met master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confirmed, and there he was in the prison. Could you, oh God, it just breaks my heart. Here Joseph did everything to, to, to have integrity, to have honor, to be trustworthy. He was trustworthy. And to have the man that he, like, was devoted to, etc., think that he tried to rape his wife, what that must have been like. That Potiphar believed his wife, how hard that must have been, and there was nothing he could do, nothing he could do to convince him and get thrown in jail. Time to get bitter, time to, right? That's an option. Man, this, no matter what I do, you know, no matter what I do, I do everything right, and look, it still doesn't turn out, you know? Some people do. Some people just go, use that, and it, you, it, there's, you know, you understand it. You definitely understand it. This whole thing of, God sucks, where is God in this, this is unfair. But part of this is the the reality is we cannot control what other people do when it hurts and it sucks. People have free will. God does not control people. 
But God doesn't like when this stuff happens. So here he is in jail in verse 21. And it says, but guess what? What does it say? But the Lord was with Joseph in jail. No matter where you go, no matter what people do to you, no matter how people attack you, guess what? You can have God be there for you no matter what. And even in this circumstance, what happens? It says, he gave favor to him in the sight of the keeper of the prison. In verse 22, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, whether they did there, it was, whatever they did there was in his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look to anything that was under Joseph's authority because what? The Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So here he is. So this is amazing. So he's got now in charge of all the prison. Now prison's not great, but if you're going to be there, being in charge of everything is definitely a lot better place to be and being like this with the guy that runs the place, wouldn't you say? And, and he's still seeing the blessing of God in this terrible situation. So there's a baker and a cup maker. They get thrown in. It sounds kind of funny. Cup baker uh, and a butler, basically. They get thrown in the prison with Joseph. They have dreams and they, that they have. And, they, and Joseph says, oh, God can interpret dreams. And Joseph tells them what the dreams are going to be that God speaks. That God, God, Joseph says God's speaking. He tells the, um, the butler... I mean, the baker that he's going to be killed, and he tells the butler that he's going to be restored to Pharaoh's service. It happens, the, the cupbearer says, I owe you, Joseph, anything. Oh, my gosh, you interpreted the dream. It turned out, whatever you want. And Joseph says, please, just remember me when you go back to Pharaoh and tell him about my situation that I'm innocent in here. The cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh and forgets about Joseph. Over and over again, right? People let him down. You can relate to this sometimes. Just like one person after another, letting you down, letting you down. So two years go by, and Pharaoh has a dream and doesn't understand what it is. And he's like, I have this dream. What's this dream? And then the cupbearer says, oops, I forgot about a guy in prison that I was supposed to help. <laughs> he's really good at dreams. He says, God speaks to him. So Pharaoh's like, well, bring him. So they, sh they fix Joseph up. He gets shaved, looks nice and stuff, and goes to Pharaoh. And it's cool, pretty cool. Pharaoh goes, oh, I heard you can do dreams. And Joseph's like, gives God the glory. He goes, no, I can't do dreams. God does dreams. God knows, understands dreams. But I can ask God, and God can speak. So Pharaoh's dream was about skinny cows eating fat cows and skinny corn eating fat corn. And Joseph says, oh, I know God, God says what that is. It means that there's going to be seven years of plenty where there's going to be tons of food and everything else and then seven years of fair, uh, famine. And he says, God's speaking to Pharaoh and saying you need to save during the seven years of plenty for the seven years of famine and that all the other nations are going to buy their food when they go hungry and starving and you, they're going to trade their gold, their jewelry, and Egypt's going to become a powerful nation. It comes to pass, and Pharaoh trusts uh, Joseph and puts him over everything, now, mind you, Egypt is the most powerful country of the world at this point. And here we got Genesis 41 and verse 39. Pharaoh says to Joseph, insomuch as what God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people and shall be ruled, all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh takes a signet ring, which is basically like power of attorney. Like signet ring means he could sign as if he's Pharaoh himself. That's how much like he's got the carte blanche. 
And then it says, off his ring, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him of garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck. Let him ride all over in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow, uh, uh, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. He's going, look how God's taking care of him. He's like over and over people hurt him. And now he's second most powerful person in the whole world at this point. Pretty crazy, huh? And then it says in, in Genesis uh, 42, because now the famine comes and everybody's starving all over the place. And Jacob, his dad, in verse 1, Joseph's dad, saw that there was grain in Egypt. And Jacob said to his sons, why look you one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So he sends the ten brothers, but he doesn't want to send Benjamin, the little one. The, Joseph had a little brother, Benjamin, that Rachel, his mom, died in childbirth, giving birth to the little, the little baby, Benjamin. And so the dad's so heartbroken over having Joseph die that he sends the ten brothers but keeps Benjamin uh, at home because he says it'll just break my heart to lose my littlest son. In verse 6, Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brother came and bowed down before him with their faces in the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. So I want to, what do you think this is like? Joseph is now this powerful man in Egypt First time he's seen his brothers all these years later who tried to kill him and, th and were going to kill him and then sold him into slavery. What would it be like for you to face them if, this, if you were in his shoes? What do you think that would be like? Kind of emotional, wouldn't you say? Now, Joseph's got the power. He could be off with their heads. He could have them, like, seriously, Joseph could do whatever he wants at this point. He's a man of power. So he's got every, you know, he, he could take revenge easily at this point. So I want to look at, for one, why does he act like he doesn't know them? We'll take a look at that. What, what was he thinking in that? And he speaks roughly to them. He's not like, you know, a lot of times you think in Christianity, we're going to look at forgiveness in this as well. Don't you think Christians are supposed to be, okay, you tried to kill me. Hey, welcome, brother. So good to see you. It's all good. Don't you think sometimes that that's what you're supposed to do? It's not. It's not what the Bible speaks. We're going to talk about that because it does speak about forgiveness. But there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness means you don't owe me anything. I'm not going to make you pay. I don't want revenge. That's forgiveness. But it, the Bible does not speak that you should trust somebody that's untrustworthy. It's very different. It's very easy in the material realm. I always think about this. If you loan somebody your brand new automobile and they wrecked it drunk driving, would you then the next day, give them the keys to your next new automobile. Would that, be, would that be wise? Would that be even loving? It's not. Do you see how it's not even really loving to somebody who is untrustworthy to just go ahead and give them the keys to your car again? Same thing with other parts in your heart. The last time they saw his brothers, they tried to kill him and decided to sell him into slavery. For him to act like nothing happened is not wise. There's forgiveness, and we're going to see Joseph's absolutely forgiving but not trusting them again. He's not taking the revenge he could so rightfully take. But he doesn't treat them just like, hey, brothers, great to see you. I know you tried to kill me last time, but love you. No. It says, he acted like a stranger, spoke roughly, and it says, then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. 
In verse 8, so Joseph recognized his brothers. They did not recognize him. It's been years later. It's a different culture. He's speaking a different language, um, et cetera. Verse 9, it says, then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. And then in Genesis, uh, we'll go down to verse uh, 18. It says, uh, 42, 18, it says, then Joseph said to them the third day, because they're staying, and he's kind of putting them, what it is is he's testing their trustworthiness, and you're going to see this. On the third day, he says, do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, see, he's going to see. Have they changed, or are these the same guys? If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your house and bring your youngest brother. See, Joseph is like wanting his little brother, Benjamin, which is his only flesh and blood, like fully 100% flesh and blood brother. The others are half brothers. Uh, he says, bring the youngest brother so your words will be verified and you not die. And they did so. So what happens is they leave somebody there. And then he says, okay, you go back and we'll see if you're telling me the truth or not or if you're spies. So they go back. Um, oh, it, well, actually, we'll read the rest in verse 21. It says, so they're sitting there, and they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Do you see? That's what I told you, that he's begging for his life, and they didn't hear it. And it says, therefore, our dis this distress has come upon us, the uh, the." that they thought that they had it coming. They realize now that they're being faced with this. They're like, we deserve this. Now, it's kind of um, cool because you see from this record that they're owning that they screwed up. That's the first part, right, of, ha of having somebody change is recognizing you did a bad thing. Like having somebody rebuild trust, the first step is having them get that they did something wrong. So these guys, Joseph is sitting there listening. They don't realize that he can understand because... He's speaking a different language. He's hearing them say, we deserve this because of what we did to our little brother Joseph when he was screaming for his life. And then it says in verse 21, um, oh, no, no, sorry, I just read that. In verse 22, it says, and Reuben answered them and said, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spake through them, uh, to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he turned to them again and talked with them and took uh, Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. It's so emotional. Joseph had to leave the room crying. He's sitting there. Can you imagine for the first time after seeing his brothers and they're saying, we shouldn't have left Joseph. Can you imagine what that must have spoken to his heart to say, we deserve this. We, we heard his screams and we didn't help him. We brought this on ourselves. So Joseph is just like, ball. he's like, oh, got to take, you know, runs out of the room. He's just crying, you know. So then they take, they leave Simeon and go back to their dad. Verse 25, Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with grain and departed from there. It's kind of cool, too, because you see the other principles see is that you see Joseph gave him another chance. That's also a part of it, that Joseph gave them a chance to prove that there was different. He didn't just cut them off. He, you'd think if any reason you'd want to cut people out of your life, it's somebody tried to kill you. 
but he's sitting there and actually gives him a chance to prove that things have changed. Uh, and then it go, let's go down uh, in verse... Oh, so they go back to the dad and Reuben, and the dad's like, no, I can't give my little, my little Benjamin. I'll die if I lose Benjamin because I lost Joseph. That's my little one. I can't. And so Reuben says, you can kill my children if I don't return him. I'm going to guarantee with my children's life, I'm like, so, so that the dad would know that he's serious. And finally, the famine gets so bad and they're starving that Joseph finally, I mean, Jacob, that Joseph's dad finally says, you know what? We're starving. We're going to die. Yes, take Benjamin, but you have to bring him back safely. So they're promising to bring their little brother. And remember, Benjamin is the son of Rachel, which is where all the envy was coming from. So they come back, and in um, uh, Genesis 43 and verse 26, when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand, into their house, and bowed down before the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being, and he says, this must have been hard for Joseph. He says, is your father well? Which is... Uh, the old man of whom you spake, is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their head, held heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother whom you spoke uh, to me? They said, and he said, God be gracious with you, my son. And his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought to go cry again. He went to his chamber and wept, seeing his little brother. And then what happens is um, Joseph sends them on their way again, says, okay, here's your food, you guys go. But what he does is he puts a silver cup in the case of the little brother Benjamin. So this is a test to see if they're trustworthy. So they go off with the grain, with Benjamin, Joseph's men come and say, something's been stolen. They, ser they search all of the packs, and the little brother Benjamin has the silver cup. And Joseph's men says, we're going to have to take Benjamin. So here, gosh. So then the brothers go back and talk to Joseph. It says, my dad will die if we don't give Benjamin, if we don't bring Benjamin back, it says. And then it says in verse... Um, 40, in Genesis 44 and verse 30, it says, Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, this is them, the brothers talking to Joseph, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen that when he sees the lad is not with us, he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with the sorrow of the grave. For your servant... Uh, became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I will bear the blame before my father forever. Then he says, now therefore, this is Judah, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. And let the lad go with his brothers. Verse 34, for how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? This is a huge change. Judah's saying, let Benjamin go. I'll stay and be your slave. Like, you see the change in Judah's heart. You know, like from wanting to kill Joseph, who was a brother he was jealous because it's Rachel's son. Here's Benjamin, the other Rachel's son, saying, it'll kill my father. I will stay and be a slave of yours for life. Just please let Benjamin go. It'll kill my father. 
So you see, this is real as far as the repentance goes and change of heart. And in uh, 45 and verse 1, it says, And Joseph could not restrain himself before all those that stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go from me, so that no one stood with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He tells his brothers, because at this point he gets that he can trust them. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. It's, he wept so loudly, Pharaoh's house was big, you know, palace kind of thing, right? Can you imagine sobbing that can be heard all through the house? This is like Joseph being reunited with his brothers that have now had a change of heart. He wept aloud, and the Egyptians of the house heard it. In verse 3, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? And his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. So they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into Egypt. And then it goes on, uh, and it says in Genesis uh, 45 and verse 14, Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. And he, moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, the brothers talked with him. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come, so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. You know, it's, you know what I love, too, is Joseph is such a trustworthy person that everybody loves him, that the fact that Joseph got his family back, it says something about who Joseph was. People loved him that his whole family, thank you, his whole family was I mean, like all of Pharaoh and all of the palace were so blessed that Joseph got his family back. So in looking at this, this story is amazing to me because would you say Joseph got some raw breaks? Bad, right? Really bad. Betrayed over and over and over again. But Joseph didn't respond with bitterness, with anger, with resentment. Joseph kept going to God to saying, I know I can't do anything about these people, but I'm seeking you, God, to do the right thing, to do my part, to do what I can. And guess what? God kept taking care of Joseph. Do you see that? God kept bringing him back over and over again to the point that he was the second most powerful person in the world, and he saved his whole family from starving to death. And he even got reunited with his family. But when his family, who had betrayed him so badly came back it's not he forgave them do you see the forgiveness here but he didn't trust them right away and there's some parts there's actually a few other test things that he did that we didn't read about because it's a long story but he does things to test their trustworthiness as he sees where their heart is that they've repented that their behavior is so different that Judas saying I will stand in the place of Benjamin I'll give my life for this child Joseph gets it and is able to be restored for his family. We can't help what other people do, guys. We can't. It sucks. You know? And it's a good thing to weep over at times. Definitely to weep over the ways that sometimes people have treated us. But it's possible with God to rise above it. The ideas, instead of bitterness and angry, which is what happened with Joseph's brothers and how they got so off track, if you let yourself get bitter and angry, guess what? You're going to hurt other people like Joseph's brothers did. That's what happens. Hurt people hurt people. But we can. We can look to God to restore us, to bring us back, to make us whole. God will triumph. God can cause you to triumph no matter what people do to you. Amen?
the rest of the series from week to week, we're going to be looking at what can you do. We're just going to be getting into the specifics of this. You saw some specifics right here with the Joseph story, right? about how to deal with difficult relationships. We're going to be talking about more things as far as how we can be in relationships. So let me close with prayer. Hope you'll join us next week. Newcomer reception. You guys, first time, if you're first time, come next week. Have some food. Hang out with me and the leadership team. We'll tell you a little bit more about Searchlight. We'd love to have you back and stay in for more Mad Men. Okay. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love and goodness that no matter what happens in our lives, that you can cause us to be restored and to be to triumph, God. I love that. I love that. That all we need to do is to look to you and to be focusing on what can we do to make our relationships better. Thank you, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.